Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Since the fall of man, a war has raged between good and evil. Over the centuries, this war has distorted the truth. Now the truth is perceived as lies, and lies acknowledged as truth. To this day, the battle continues as we investigate and debate the truth behind the history and mystery of the universe. We are Paratruth Radio. Welcome to Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And uh, we are glad to have you guys with us this evening. Uh, We've got a great show for you. Uh, We are going to be talking to uh, Don Schmidt about his book, Inside the Real Area 51. Uh, Just to give you guys a heads up, uh, if you want to find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, Twitter. you can also go to paratruthradio.com as well and uh, check out our new site. Um, and we've got some great things coming with that site, so stay tuned next week for that. And um, I think it's going to be an interesting, interesting show. So without further ado, let's get on Don Schmidt. Hello, Eric. How are you two this evening? Good. Yeah, How about good. yourself? How are you? I am doing great. Thank you. Good. So for those of our listeners who haven't heard of you or heard of the book, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Well, as far as myself, uh, this um, is my ninth book that I've either authored or co-authored, five of which to date have been bestsellers. So I'm uh, very pleased with that. And uh, I'm a former co-director of the Jalen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. I was a special investigator for the late Dr. Jalen Hynek, and I served on uh, the board of directors as well as I was director of special investigations for the Center for UFO Studies out of Chicago. And I presently am an advisor and a founder to the International UFO Museum in Roswell. So um, I always emphasize the fact that I was a total skeptic when it came to the Roswell incident of 1947. Had mm-hmm. not even read any of the material when we started our own independent investigation of Roswell in 1989. And we thought we would wrap this up in a single weekend, prove that it was something very conventional, very prosaic. And here we are now, 19, uh, 2015, and we've interviewed over 600 people, either directly or indirectly involved. Wow. We've conducted four archaeological digs at the crash-slash-debris field site. And we are accumulating more and more deathbed testimony, which obviously is admissible in any court of law as right. physical evidence. So uh, down to a man, woman, and child, they are all invariably talking about the little people, the little men, the bodies which were recovered. And as we've always focused on Roswell as far as, 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 far as in the here and now, back in 1947, we always heard as many people within ufology about the aftermath. Where did the wreckage go? Where did the the remains go? What happened the days and weeks thereafter? So what the new book, Inside the Real Area 51, which is not about Area 51, it's actually explaining what the real Area 51 was and that it it was Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. Mm. uh, seven years before even Area 51 was established, Wright Pat, Wright Field was long, you know, the repository for not only the official UFO investigations, Project Sign, Project Grudge, Project Blue Book, but as many witnesses have described to us, as witnesses who were even on the receiving end 
back in 1947 when materials came in that it has always been that final destination when it came to all things UFO related and whether serving as a smokescreen whether serving as a diversion nonetheless it had the facilities it had the equipment it had the personnel that could truly you know examine what was flitting through our skies back at that time and thereafter mm-hmm. and um i understand that both of you are from uh, ohio correct or, yeah. yes so i'm sure both of you long have heard stories and rumors and probably even talk to people who had, you know, testimony as to that effect. Mm-hmm. You can hardly drive through yeah. Ohio and talk to people without their, you know, <laughs> recounting, you know, some story, some little tidbit of information yeah. about uh, Dayton, Ohio, right? Patterson Air Force yeah. Base. So this is the right. aftermath. This is what transpired after Roswell. And that's the subject okay. of the current book. All right. Well, um, now, obviously, the crash was obviously in Roswell, and I get that the Wright Patterson base was where they did all UFO things. But how long did it take them to transfer it from Roswell to the Air Force base before doing any type of investigation? Did they do a investigation first and then realized, hey, we're dealing with something more than what it is? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well. Uh, the original incident, the uh, the debris field is 75 miles, more accurately about 66, 67 miles northwest of Roswell. And then there was a final impact point about 35 to 40 miles north of Roswell. And then okay. as the recovery operation, the retrieval process took place, everything transited through one specific hangar, at the base at Roswell. It was called Building P-3. Today it's called Building 84. And aside Mm -hmm. from the base hospital, everything then transited out from there. Um, There was an announcement. In fact, your listeners could check as far as all the press accounts at that time. It Mm -hmm. even states very specifically that the materials were going to right field. Right field, because at that time it was still not an Air Force base. The breakoff between the Army Air Corps and the Air Force didn't take place until September of 47, and then officially January of 48. So Wright-Patterson was still known as Wright Field at the time mm-hmm. of the incident. It would become Wright-Patterson in January of 48. Okay, so all the press stipulations and the announcements from the military stated that the materials were going to right field for analysis. Okay. Well, for those who know of the balloon press conference that was right, not yeah. held in Roswell, it wasn't held at right field, it was held at Carswell Army Airfield in the office of Brigadier General Roger Ramey was the head of the 8th Air Force, which was the commanding officer over the 509th Bomb Group, which was headquartered at Roswell Army Airfield. So General Ramey was the boss of the Roswell Base Commander, Colonel William Blanchard. The 509th was the first atomic bomb squadron in the world. They had dropped the two atomic bombs on Japan just two years before ending World War II. So we're not talking about a bunch of knee-jerk reactionaries. We're talking about the most elite unit within the military at that time, stationed at Roswell. And they couldn't identify the materials. No one that was called in to examine this wreckage could identify it whether they felt it was foreign or even domestic design. No one could identify it. So on its way to Wright Field, they make a preliminary stop at Fort Worth, and that's where General Ramey calls a press conference. He only allows one reporter in from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram by the name of J.B. Johnson, who then takes pictures of not the actual wreckage, 
but of a substituted weather balloon with a, and a radar reflector kite. And those are the famous pictures that went out all over the world the next morning mm-hmm. of the weather balloon with the radar reflector kite. Well, General Ramey would announce that due to their explaining away the case, the recovery, as nothing more than a weather balloon, that he was canceling the flight on the right field. No need for any analysis. I've explained it all away right here and now. Well, that very evening in Dallas at the FBI Bureau office at 617 that evening, they put out a telex which stated, if I may quote one specific line, based on our telephonic communication between this office and Wright Field, this information is not borne out. They were refuting the balloon explanation. And they went on to state that the material was still going on the right field. So the FBI itself, you know, refuted the balloon explanation, and they confirmed that the materials were going on to Dayton, Ohio. Well, then enter then-Lieutenant Colonel Arthur Exxon. He was part of the uh, officer training program at what was called T2 at that time, which would become the Foreign Technology Division, FTD. And Exxon described to us that they were told to get the lab ready, that the materials were coming in for testing. And according to Exxon, that when the materials arrived from Fort Worth, originating from Roswell, that when they examined the material, that the uh, technicians at the lab, that they first thought that the materials had to be Soviet because no one could, could recognize this metal, this metal-like, this plastic-like material that had memory that couldn't be scratched, couldn't be burned, couldn't be dented, and it had I-beams with strange symbology that ran, ran the lengths of each uh, strut, and according to Exxon, where they conducted all the stress, all the microscopic analysis, everything that they could do to determine the very nature of the material, that there was a unanimous consensus that the materials were from space. That's how he put it. So they weren't from here. And that's coming from FTD at Wright Field. Well, then enter... Colonel Robert Friend, who was the second last director of Project Blue Book. And we were never aware of the fact that Colonel Robert Friend was also at Wright Field when the materials came in. And he told me right to my face, we knew it wasn't a weather balloon. We knew that it was something extraordinary. Why else mm-hmm. would it come to Wright Field for testing? for analysis, for possible reverse engineering, if it was, as he put it, one of ours. So you have not only the personnel at Roswell who were involved in the loading, in the flights, in the transfer of the material then from Fort Worth on the right field, but we have eyewitnesses at Wright Field who also were on the receiving end. And from there, the story just escalates, account after account, describing where the material, what hangars they uh, were kept at, the underground vaults, the specific places that things were tested, and hence all the legend, all the rumors that have developed through the years. Because as we all know, rumors stem from actual occurrences. They just don't develop out of, you know, thin air. Something has to trigger them. And Mm -hmm. as I've played out, I can document, I can demonstrate whatever one wants to believe. Whatever was recovered at Roswell, it did go to right field. And I just would ask your listeners to question themselves. Why would you have to analyze and test a weather balloon comprised right. of neoprene rubber, reflective foil, wooden sticks, 
tape and bailing twine as though not even a five-year-old child would have difficulty in identifying it. Right. All right. Um, I think we'll take our first quick break. Folks, you're listening to Paratruth Radio right here on Blog Talk Radio. We have the paranormal headlines and a quick commercial, and we will be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, sublimely elegant here as always, and you are listening to Paratruth Radio. And now, Paratruth Radio's Paranormal Headlines. Large, loud UFO sighted over Canic Chase. Dozens of people reported a huge, slow-moving object passing over their homes on Tuesday night. Canic Chase has developed something of a reputation for paranormal occurrences in recent years, having been home to reports of everything from black-eyed children to Slenderman. In this latest incident, a strange, low-pitched rumbling noise had started up somewhere around 9 p.m. on Tuesday, and a large, slow-moving object was later seen past passing overhead. Witnesses recalled that it had three red lights and was flying at low altitude. Before anything could be seen with the naked eye, there was a deep and very loud droning, said paranormal investigator Lee Berkeley. After around three minutes, the craft came into sight. It seemed incredibly large and astonishingly low in the sky with the three red lights that were easily noticeable. The UFO traveled very slowly, and many people thought it was about to crash. Brickley later contacted Birmingham Airport in an attempt to rule out any known flights over the area, but was told that no aircraft had been flying so low over Canic Chase at that time. I'm sure it is something that can be explained, said a spokeswoman from UK UFO research group Bufora. Whether it will be explained in another ma- is another matter. There are so many drones around here. This was a segment of Parachute Radio's Paranormal Headlines. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly... It's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. You are now listening to Paratruth Radio. All right, folks, welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin.
Yeah, I'm here. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, and uh, today we are talking to Don Schmidt about inside the real Area 51. So, Don, you were talking about uh, when they were transferring all this material over to right field, uh, you know, even the higher ups were saying this was something more than a weather balloon. Um, why the cover up? Why try and erase something that was obviously something more than what they were saying? Well, certainly back at that time, they had to stall for time. It was uh, you know something totally unprecedented. When you le- even look at the initial reaction on the part of the military, and then vis-a-vis the government, uh, where were they to get the answers aside from actual physical evidence? Uh, keep in mind, for example, just a, uh, just a mere two months later, in September 1947, General Nathan Twining, head of the Air Material Command, also headquartered, interestingly enough, at, at Wright Field, put out basically his assessment of the UFO phenomenon where he stated that the phenomenon was something real and not visionary or fictitious, and then went on to describe you know, the flight characteristics and the shape and everything that suggested that we were dealing with something that was not of any conventional nature. So that is, that's how quickly they at least came up with the preliminary assessment of what they were dealing with, but it still didn't provide them with any answers as to who, why, or from where. So all you can do is contain it until you hopefully acquire those answers. And here we are in 2015, and I still uh, remain convinced that we're dealing with a cover-up of ignorance, that they still don't have any answers. They know the phenomenon is real. They know that, I mean, based on the fact that they have acquired physical evidence, but it hasn't provided them with any answers. And now after... 67 years going on 68 they still right. they still are as much in the dark as they were back then and um so they have like no answers at all as to what it really is or just like answers why the, the UFO crashed here well i know there are those who you know speculate and even go so far as to suggest that we have this interplanetary uh, extraterrestrial in, uh, exchange program going on. Right, yeah, I've that, heard that too. Uh, that we've been exchanging that, yeah. technology for decades. And right. yet, you know, it's just evidence what happened as far as uh, over France a week ago. We still are flying very conventional aircraft. We still are driving cars with internal combustion engines. We still have metals that if you take a hammer to them, they crumble and crack and bend as easy mm-hmm. as they, they, they ever did in, in most cases. We're still um, you know, utilizing even medically technologies that... Uh, are still rather primitive. You think of cancer treatment, if you talk about radiation and, and chemical, chemo uh, uh, treatments as far as such ailments, mm-hmm. which um, can be just as devastating to the individual as the cancer itself. So right. as much as we have made tremendous progress and, and headway in many areas, when it comes to what people describe as to the UFO phenomenon, I, I see very little of anything that appears to have been reverse engineered, something that we've been able to actually take from possessing knowledge of the UFO phenomenon. Um, you know, clearly as described by witnesses, you're dealing with something that is able to defy gravity, is able to uh, travel at tremendous speeds, and if they are indeed coming from other planets, they uh, most likely are able to travel 
uh, at the speed of light or beyond. They are able to take advantage of wormholes and even time travel, as far as we know, parallel universes, teleportation, you name it. And, and here we are with a space program. We haven't been to the moon in 50 years. We should right. have been probably to Mars with a manned mission 40 years ago. And, um, you know, our, we're, our, our space program is a, a shadow of what it, what it formerly was. So yeah. in many ways, we're digressing. And I, 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 I often speculate, as even my friend Richard Hoagland has suggested, just imagine if the space program would have continued unrelented about beyond Apollo mm. over the last 50 years where we might be today. So I right. guess the question then is, if we've had help, what became of it? What happened to it? Because right. we're sliding backwards in such such areas. And I, for one, am very disheartened by that. Before I haven't right. grown up in the entire space program, and for as a little boy, just dreaming of being an astronaut someday, and the fact that um, it's become a, a lost profession, that yeah. uh, it's... Uh, it's it's no longer you know that heroic uh, profession that so many of us you know longed and endeavored to become part of. Right. Yeah. Now, not too many kids. Sorry. Go ahead. Say go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, not too many kids say they want to be astronauts anymore. No. no, it's, no. Uh, you're <laughs> almost volunteering to have a one-way ticket someplace. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, with all the research you've done and all the people you talked to, has there been any explanation from anyone as to why this particular spacecraft had crashed it crashed back in 1947? Because I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I have not seen any news articles uh, from any point other than uh, what has been put out in 1947 about any other type of unidentified craft crashing or being found. Well, let me uh, address your, your final remark. There have been other alleged crashes, but none with the wealth of eyewitness testimony, none with the historic uh, relevance as Roswell. I mean, what, what truly you know, put Roswell, made Roswell the granddaddy of all UFO cases was the fact that on July 8th of 1947, the United States Army Air Corps put out a press release where they claimed they had captured a flying saucer. Just totally unprecedented. Uh, unfortunately, five hours later, they would retract that very pronouncement and claim it was this, this weather balloon device. And that's where right. the story rested for the next 30 years until the intelligence officer at Roswell, Major Jesse Marcel, who was dying of emphysema at the time, broke his oath of, 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 of secrecy and stated that he had actually held the material and that it was nothing made on this earth, as he put it. So we can document, for example, that there was a severe thunderstorm that very evening in that very area. And the ranchers through that region of Lincoln County, New Mexico. Now, Lincoln County, you know, remains famous for the Lincoln County Range Wars uh, after after the Civil War. Uh, Billy the Kid and Pat Garrett and John Chisholm through that that area, and much of it is still open range. And the cowboys who work those ranches, you know, with their Winchesters and their six shooters, you know, holstered to their 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 waists, you know, appear very much as they did 100 years ago, 200 years ago. Right. And the ranchers describe that that very night between the thunderclaps, that there sounded as though there was an explosion, something unusual, a, a sound that sounded different than the thunder. And based on, again, the eyewitness testimony, and specifically Major Marcel, the pattern in which he described the debris field, that it extended for almost three-quarters of a mile, hundreds of feet wide, and it was fan-shaped, that they 
immediately saw that it was a result of a mid-air explosion and then raining debris through that open arroyo. And one can speculate that uh, the object may have been struck by lightning or that mm-hmm. there may have been some type of um, internal malfunction. I don't think we'll ever know because from all the military accounts, they were unable to make that determination. But we can document the storm. And if it had some effect, then that may indeed have been the cause of the crash. Now, there's always been um, talk that they recovered bodies from that crash. Was there ever any evidence of that that you found? Well, not only do we have first-hand testimony to a secondary body site about about two and a half miles from the debris field in the trajectory east-southeast going along that line to a final impact point. I had mentioned at the beginning of the program about 35 to 40 miles north of Roswell, Mm. and that's where the remains of a pod about the size of a Volkswagen Beetle, more of an egg-shaped capsule. And that's where the remains of the crew and also from first-hand testimony, a survivor. There was a live one. So you have bodies and a survivor at the impact point and then the secondary body site two and a half miles from the debris field you have two additional bodies. So that, again, hardly would be suggestive of any type of balloon or right. uh, anything else conventional of that sort. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, both Eric and I got to speak to Jesse Marcel Jr., and uh, he had had a lot to say about his his father's discovery and um I think one of the biggest things that he pointed out too was that the material was definitely not something that we had known to that particular date and time. Um, and then uh, that there was no way that it was a weather balloon. Uh, he didn't speculate that he knew what it was. Um, and I don't know if how, what he got into with you, Eric, but he had basically said mm-hmm. that to his knowledge, the, there wasn't bodies uncovered, but that was because Jesse Marcel had not been a part of that investigation. Um, right, that is correct. Right. And Jesse, who um, was uh, the uh, lone child of the Marcells at that time, they resided about 10 miles north of the uh, front gate of the Roswell Army Airfield. And just imagine, his father has been dispatched by Colonel Blanchard, the base commander, along with a counterintelligence officer by the name of Captain Sheridan Cavett. Mm-hmm. And they spend the better part of a day gathering up as much of the material, the wreckage, as they could. And they filled up a Jeep carry-all box and just Marcel's 1942 Buick convertible. And it's important enough that Jess Sr., at 2 o'clock in the morning, on his way back to the base, wakes up his wife and his son, Jesse Jr., takes them into the kitchen. And there mm-hmm. he has a couple box full of material scattered on the floor and the kitchen table. And that's where Jesse Marcel, as you described, got to handle some of this material himself and observed some of these I-beam sections with this symbology which ran the, the lengths of each piece and helping his father gather it all up and then his dad would drive it out to the base and then that very next day they would put out that press release actually declaring they had captured a flying saucer. So right. we just lost Jess. It's going to be two years now come August. Yeah. And that's the problem we're running into that not only were we racing with the undertaker, so to speak, with all the first ten witnesses, right? And now we're all starting to lose the children, right? When the Jesse mm-hmm. Junior, Jess Marcel Juniors, are passing away, 
therein lies the end game, so to speak. And one can just right. imagine the powers that be in Washington who are now up to four official explanations concerning Roswell. Four. You know, I always joke about any husband, any man should try that some night coming home too late with his wife. <laughs> you don't like this explanation, try this one. And so on and so on. You know, at what point are you going to be called, you're just lying. Right. Well, of the 600 people we've talked to and counting, not a one has described a balloon, a mogul balloon, crash dummies, or anything else the Air Force has concocted. But each and every one of them attests to the first explanation, the capture of the flying saucer. And Jess Marcel, senior as well as junior, both of them to their very dying breaths, that this was nothing made on this earth, as Jess Senior put it. And so true to uh, both of their full involvement, that they never recanted, they never backed down from that. And as we all know, we could take that into any court of law. And all of these witnesses would make a tremendous case. In fact, we've often said this, we could win this hands down in any court of law, just based yeah. on all the eyewitness testimony. All right, well, I think we'll take our next break. Folks, you're listening to Paratruth Radio. Uh, we're going to have Eric's Random Fact and a quick commercial, and we will be right back. This is David Montaigne, author of End Times in 2019, and you are listening to Paratruth Radio. Now, Eric's Random Fact of the Day. We have all heard of a candy called Nerds, and perhaps growing up, you've even called some of your friends or some strangers Nerds, or have you even been called a Nerd yourself? However, did you know that the word Nerd was first coined by Dr. Seuss? It's true. It was coined in the book, If I Ran the Zoo. <laughs> Okay, Simon, what are you wearing right now? Nothing. That's right. And what do people normally wear? Clothes. Exactly. So now Mommy's going to teach you how to dress yourself. Clothes keep us warm, they look good, and if we go out without them, the neighbors will talk. So it's important to know how to get dressed. Here's how it's done. Underwear always comes first, name tag at the back, then pants, then shirt. Get the first button in the right hole, or you have to start all over. If you're wearing a tie, it goes over, round, round, through, and pull tight. Tuck your shirt into your pants and zip up your flat. Socks going first, then shoes right on right, left on left. With shoelaces, just take the ends, cross them over, switch the loops. The rabbit goes down the hole, pull tight, and you're left with bunny ears. I love bunnies. Good to know. Now remember, spots don't go with stripes, socks don't go with sandals, and if you've tucked in your shirt, wear a belt. Got it? Why are your pants on your head? Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Hey, kids, let Mom help with your science project. This new mom wants her kids' science project to thrive. Too bad she hasn't cracked a science book since 1985. A metathesis reaction? Compound fixtures and elements, even this baking soda volcano is too big of an experiment. Whoa. Now she's completely forgotten the periodic table. Now she's burning a hole through the kitchen table. Burning with science. But her kids' love for the mom is truly transparent. Proof you don't have to be perfect to be the perfect parent. Don't tell Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of siblings in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. This is Bill Hall, author of the book, The World's Most Haunted House, and you're listening to Paratruth Radio. All right, folks, welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. 
And we've been talking to Don Schmidt about Inside the Real Area 51. Now, Don, uh, we just got done talking about uh, Jesse and uh, Jesse Jr. and um, how everybody that was involved in the Roswell incident is uh, dying off. So we only have so much time left before we don't have any more testimony or evidence. Um, do you think that uh, we will ever really have the full answer or the true answer? Well, we we certainly still conduct every effort in securing physical evidence. We are still confident, for example, that there is still possibly physical evidence out at the crash site. We, uh, for example, are planning on another archaeological dig for later this year. We're, um, we've utilized in the past everything from subterranean radar to special electronic uh, as far as magnetic scanning devices, we've used full mm -hmm. archaeological teams where we've excavated, we've used backhoe uh, as far as excavation equipment, digging down to certain depths throughout the area. We've relied on old surveillance and topographical uh, area photography demonstrating changes in the area at that time, uh, which are artificial. And we still suspect specific families, specific people who were involved, who may indeed have physical evidence. And there's still the possibility that there's documentation and certainly the possibility of photographic evidence, photographic evidence that may demonstrate something that is not of an earthly origin. And it's one of the reasons our investigation remains very fluid it's one of the reasons that, uh, unlike so many uh, so-called armchair investigators who essentially uh, conduct investigation by decree and by proclamation, we're the proactive investigators who are actually in the field, who are actually out in the field, who continue to track down the remaining witnesses and now continue to uh, even discuss the case with the families and, uh, and, and and garner information all suggestive of, of, of something that even throughout uh, the, the span of over 65 years remained um, something unusual, remained something extraordinary, remained very intimidating, remained something very frightful to the families mm -hmm. because um, they uh, their fathers, their husbands, uh, very often talked about um, they were not allowed to talk about this. They were sworn to secrecy. They were threatened. They were told that they would be killed. They were told that they would uh, take their children away from them. Uh, pretty extreme measures on the part of the government just to maintain right. the secrecy of a, a recovered weather balloon. Right. Um, I think one of the biggest questions I've always had you know I, I always read about Area 51, Bigfoot you, you name the phenomenon I was always interested in as a kid um, I, I've never understood the secrecy part of it like I get that there are numerous secrets that the government have and to an extent I, I agree that maybe the public doesn't need to know everything but if we're being visited by extraterrestrials, if something's happened to where we've discovered extraterrestrials, personally, I think that's a huge discovery that everybody should know about, and we should have been pursuing something further. Um, but did anybody ever from the government, you know, after they were released and starting to tell their stories, did they ever say that there was a reason for the secrecy for the cover-up like other than trying to figure out what it was well i i wholeheartedly concur uh i mean especially those of us who have grown up i mentioned earlier going up uh, growing up during the space program and for those of us growing up as far as with star trek and star wars and you know just the very concept of being visited by any outside intelligence is hardly anything novel by today's standards. I mean, you can hardly go into a store without seeing one of those inflatable aliens. Right. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, uh, you name the movies, Close Encounters and E.T. and even Alien and so on. Um, yeah. It's just a, a constant consideration on the part of, uh, you know, humankind as to whether something else is out there. And then we have the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, the SETI program. Um, right. You know, if if there's nothing to it, then why are we even making an effort? Why are we even investing in the possibility that somebody would be sending very primitive radio waves in our direction, yeah. which is kind of, uh, you know, when you think about it, uh, amusing on the face of it. But right. I, I, last time I was on Larry King, and then we lost satellite feed, but if I would have had the chance, I was prepared to, you know, make the remark. Just imagine if we'd have former presidents Clinton and Carter and the late Senator Barry Goldwater and the late Congressman Stephen Schiff of New Mexico and the former governor of, of New Mexico, Bill Richardson, all there on the set of the, of the TV show. And right. each and every one of them would lament the fact that they couldn't get the truth about Roswell. They couldn't get the truth about UFOs. So we're in very good company. But nonetheless, it demonstrates that this secret, for whatever reason, this deep, dark secret, is even above the president. That even though they may be briefed on it, they may be told, you know, that, yes, indeed, Mr. President, this is what we know. This is what we know to be the facts. But you are not permitted, you are not allowed to say the truth for these reasons. And this this notion, for example, that it would be destructive to organize religion as we know it, well, to me, that's a red herring. I cite the Alexander study that took place in 1987, and they polled all the major religious leaders around the world, and they determined that 83% of all organized religion would have absolutely no problem with the very concept of life on other planets. Uh, Let's keep in mind, for example, that even in the summer of 1947, after that huge wave of flying disc and flying saucer reports, the Vatican issued a, a statement which read, quote, it is the position of the church that the universe is most likely teeming with other creations, end quote. So we wouldn't have a problem with it. For those of us who are religious or, you know, believe in divine um, inspiration as far as uh, beyond the earth, they also don't have a problem with an intelligence beyond the earth. And so that's a smokescreen explanation on the part of the government. Uh, I'm more apt to believe that in my describing the cover-up of ignorance, that their concern more likely is the loss of control, the loss of Mm -hmm. having, you know, control nationally. For example, I I mean, nationalism is the name of the game throughout the world. We all hold our respective leaders, our presidents, our kings, our queens, as our respected leaders. And overnight, we're no longer Americans or Russian or Europeans. We're earthlings. All of a sudden, we're all one and the same because we're dealing with an intelligence off the planet. Right. And just, and just also keep in mind, I I recall, for example, at one time when there was a Gallup poll and and the people were asked, who do you consider the most reliable individual in the United States? And it happened to be Walter Cronkite of CBS News, the late Walter Cronkite. And the Pope has often been cited since, okay? Now, obviously, it would be too late for Walter Cronkite, and I would suggest that there's hardly anyone in the media that would even come close to his respectability. But just imagine any politician, after all these years of deception, of of really of, of totally, you know, lying about the existence of the phenomena, having a press conference. Just imagine President Obama 
tomorrow, going before the American people and announcing, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I am here tonight to announce the fact that uh, based on over 60 years of scientific investigation, that we have been able to determine that we are not alone, that we are being visited by a phenomenon, by an intelligence off the planet. We don't know where they're from. We don't know who they are. We don't know why they are here. But vote for me come next election. In other words, I can't give you any answers, but trust me. Right. And so what official is going to even make such a pronouncement when there's really, at the moment, as I still maintain, nothing to disclose? I mean, they can announce, yes, they're here. But as far as who they are and what they want, we can only speculate. Right. right. And that's, that's pretty sobering, and it may indeed be pretty frightening. All of a sudden, it's like that old Twilight Zone episode yeah. um, where, um, what was it, the cookbook? Uh, I'm not even mankind. sure. I think I know. Yeah, I think yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> to serve mankind, and they thought it was to serve, help mankind, and it was actually a cookbook. <laughs> All right, Don. Well, we're getting close to the end of the show, so I wanted to give you a chance to tell everybody where they can find you and where they can find your book. Very good. Well, we have a website, which is www.roswellinvestigator, one word, roswellinvestigator.com. And uh, we even have our email addresses listed there at the uh, website, and anybody is certainly invited to uh, contact us. Any questions, any suggestions, uh, certainly any uh, offer to uh, help physically with the investigation, especially with the next dig coming up. We're always looking for volunteers uh, assisting the archaeologists, the the geologists involved, and uh, the book, as well as the previous book, which is called Witness to Roswell, which was the number one selling UFO book for two years in a row in the world, two years in the world in a row. And that's available at Barnes & Noble as well as Amazon. So uh, we're working on another book, which is due middle of the year, and it'll be out at the end of this year. Oh, awesome. All right, Don. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, We hope to uh, talk to you again maybe once that new book comes out. Well, I look forward to it. Thank you both. Eric, Justin, my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, folks. That was Don Schmidt, author of Inside the Real Area 51. Uh, So even though it's all still in question, I mean – he had a lot of answers, but at the same time, it's still all in the fog. I mean, nobody really knows right. what happened at Area 51. Um, so next week, uh, it's going to be a pre-recorded episode for you guys. Uh, it's going to be our Easter episode, uh, and uh, we got an awesome announcement for you on that episode. So even though it's pre-recorded, definitely tune in. Uh, we also have Eric's new movie going to be starting to uh, be recorded soon, so let's give him a chance to go ahead and plug that again. All right. Um, as you, everyone who's tuned in uh, every week over the past couple of months, or you've heard about my new film uh, coming out. Where I'm producing and directing and have written. It's called The Reveal. It's going to be uh, filmed in September of this year, 2015. And it's about a young woman who's an author who writes stories in extraterrestrial life. And as she writes these stories, she starts to become uh, what is perceived as being attacked or abducted by these creatures. However, not everything is as it seems, and in fact, may be an even more sinister uh, being from a spiritual nature. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of discussion as to what aliens really are. Are they, you know, these humanoid, you know, Martians, small, green, even tall, and reptilian? 
are they spiritual by nature? You know, are these something that uh, can manifest itself? Well, we see or have heard oftentimes of uh, people who are in one place and suddenly in another, or a gap of time suddenly just, you know, seem, seeming to have disappeared. Uh, people claiming to have been in another dimension at some point during their alien abduction, uh, which isn't always space. You know, it, it's another dimension altogether, almost a spiritual uh, dimension, if you will. And so the question is, how can this be? And what are the powers behind these alien abductions? And just in the end, what are aliens? And this movie, I think, is going to go into that. It's going to, uh, you know, it's not a documentary. It's a sci-fi horror drama film. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting. I think it's going to be, you know, scary for those of you who like horror <laughs> films, but for those of you who are really interested in learning about aliens and what the truth is and what the stories are. I think you're going to love this film. So, again, it's The Revealed. You can check it out uh, on the Facebook page. Check it out at the facebook.com forward slash The Revealed Movie and like it. Share it with your friends. Ask them to like it as well. The more likes we get, the more we get the name out. And, of course, I will be uh, promoting it from here all the way through to post-production and eventually uh, distribution. Uh, it is going to be a film that will be entered into film festivals around the country. So, you know, the more support we got, the better. And, of course, all Absolutely. of our Paris fans will be some of the first people to hear about it and even see it. So that's something I hope everyone will look forward to. I'm definitely looking forward to it. And uh, I know the. I think we've talked about this on past episodes or even just with each other, but you've had an instance where you felt that you had an abduction um, type thing happen to you while you were sleeping. You don't know what really happened, but you felt that something had happened like that, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Back. Uh, I mean, I was young, I was really young, um, but it all, the only thing that I truly remember is a bright, flash of white light and I remember waking up and screaming at the top of my lungs but everything else within the dream other than the white light it's just not there I don't know anything else that happened I don't remember anything else that happened all I remember is just just this giant white light and uh from that point I've always believed it was an alien abduction you know and, and to this day I still believe it is I'm using my fingers here as quotes an alien abduction um as to you know, it was it truly aliens as we know them, extraterrestrial life, and you know, unidentified flying saucers, or is it something else? And, and you know, that's something that was just raised recently, and having questioning all of it, which is why this movie is, you know, on my heart, and why I've written it, and why it's going to be coming out. So. All right. Well, on that note, folks, uh, it was a great show tonight. Don was an amazing guest. And uh, we've got a lot of great things coming for you, so stay tuned. And uh, I think that's the end of it for us. So I will uh, be happy to be talking to you guys next week, and we will uh, have some great news for you. So on that note, I am Justin. I'm Eric. And we will talk to you guys next week. Peace. Bonjour. 
This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So, come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app!